Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome, everybody. In early 2020, in the heady couple of months before the world changed, Crown Investigation launched the TV show Making a Monster. Making a Monster brought together the world's leading forensic psychologists, psychiatrists, and pathologists to share their first-hand insights into the minds of some of the most notorious serial killers. Alongside the TV show, Crown Investigation released an extra podcast series titled Making a Monster, The Tapes, which gives extra access to the contributors featured revealing unheard interview footage. My name's Sam Pearson, one of the producers on the podcast series, and I'm very pleased to say we're joined here today for a very special CrimeCon interview with two of those psychologists, criminal profiler Professor Paul Britton and geographic profiler Professor Sam Lundrigan. Let's start off with a big question, Sam. Why does true crime storytelling matter? It absolutely does matter uh, because it cuts through the fiction and to, through to the fact um, I think we all know, especially in the past, you know, fiction portrays many, many stereotypes about crime. Um, and actually, it's really important that we cut through that and that we actually understand the reality. It also, I think, as well, um, it also gives empowerment to people as well, because sometimes, you know, no matter how um, effective a criminal justice system is, for example, victims' voices sometimes aren't heard. Um, and justice sometimes isn't done. And actually, um, true crime storytelling can really contribute to both of those things. Mm. Paul, although it can sometimes be uncomfortable terrain, in your view, is there a reason why the true crime genre is so important? There are a variety of reasons why it's important. One that I think is overlooked sometimes is that the people who listen, who involve themselves in true crime material, sometimes have facts, observations, insights that have been missed in other investigations. And if the true crime genre can help them, A, to become familiar with aspects of an investigation of a crime, and secondly, make them feel, yes, there is something that I might add, then we do find occasionally that they lead to information that can close an investigation that's been hanging around for years. And that alone is worth it. And what are the considerations from your perspective when uh, us in the media landscape are making these true crime stories? What are the considerations that we should take into, take into account, do you think? I think the most important thing is tell the truth. Uh, it shouldn't be glamorised. It shouldn't be added to or embellished just because it makes it sound better. It needs to be the raw, simple, unvarnished truth. I think you also need to be particularly aware of both the victims 
and where the victims are no longer living, the victims' families, so that these people, their sensibilities, the pain they suffer, and please remember that that pain never really goes away. People talk about closure, finishing a case so the families get closure. They never get closure. Their loved one is dead or whatever it happens to be and always will be. So you don't close it, but you may help to alleviate the pain a little. Can I just add? Absolutely. Yeah, um, so, yeah, compassion and respect for um, the victims involved, but also I think importantly evidence, taking an evidence-based approach. So understanding, you know, some of the, um, you know, the the the, 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 the the explanations for why people have done what they might have done um, and helping understanding. So getting past... So true factual representation, but then going that step further and talking to experts and understanding the evidence and the sometimes often the science underneath mm-hmm. some of the, um, the, the the investigations. For sure. And Paul, you mentioned the, the pain there. And as, as, a, as, a, as a forensic psychologist, are there any techniques that you've picked up professionally that help you to approach a case in consideration for the victim's family? Well, I came to this work having worked as a clinician, where I had patients rather than, if you like, forensic clients. So my early learning was in the sensitivities, the understanding of the pain and the pathways, and the techniques for leading people back from that pain towards insight and through that back to something approaching normality. And for me, it's just the same application of that, but in a slightly different setting. And Sam, does your area of expertise, obviously being a geographic profiler, does that keep you more removed or is that quite naive? Are there any similarities in your approach? It does keep me removed, but I'm also very mindful that every dot on a map represents, um, you know, it's often a really tragic uh, series of events. And um, also with the ripples outwards, as Paul said, to uh, people's families. And I also bear in mind as well, because often um, if I do a geographic profile, particularly on a cold case, you know, it's not unheard of that, victims families will get in touch with me and you know because it gives you know hope so we've got a real responsibility actually and we have to be very mindful of that of balancing how we how we um uh, you know put across what we've done and 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 not giving false hope for example so really important absolutely one thing that we'll do is we'll open up to a couple of questions in the in the audience at the end of this so start thinking about your questions but uh, paul have you ever felt a case starting to get hold of you in any way that pain starting to kind of fall on you rather than the victim and the victim's family? I understand the question, but basically the answer is no. However, part of my work is understanding the victim, how they got to be a victim and why they got to be a victim. And it is the truth that after the years have gone by, those victims tend to sit in the corner of the consulting room and they, they make you feel that you have to be careful. Even though you've got to develop a rapport with an offender or a prospective offender, don't forget me. Don't give all of your time into making him or her understand themselves, understand how they... Don't forget what they did. And that becomes, I think, quite important overall in what we do. May I? Just one other thing. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, you talk to Sam about geographical profiling and you talk to me about these other matters unless Sam feels differently, we tend to merge so that while Sam focuses very much on the geographical, she inevitably deals with other factors 
And for me, on my list of materials, at the top are ordnance survey maps, street plans. So although, in a sense, we've been brought up in slightly different silos of ways of investigating, we work easily together. So that shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, you can't separate the two. They inform each other, don't they? You, I think so. You, know, you absolutely need to understand the geography and also the behavioural aspect as well yeah. of a crime. And, and what uh, um, and Paul, you mentioned there that you 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 you, you ultimately you've, you felt that you've never had, or maybe maybe that's maybe it's putting words in your mouth, but you you don't feel like a case has ever taken hold of you. Do you, do you have you have you ever given any advice to any other up, up and coming kind of psychologists? And this answer, this question is to you as well, Sam. Really, but are there any kind of warning signs or ultimately dangers that you have to kind of make sure that you avoid in making sure that no, nothing does? I, I, two points in my answer to that. The first is my advice is don't do it because it's a horrible way to spend your time. It really is. If you think about what we do, where we start, where we go, it's, it's not something that you would say, here's a beautiful way to spend your life. It's a necessary way. The second thing, and I think this is a clear answer to your question, one of the most concerning statements, comments I've ever heard was from a psychologist who works in this area, and he was saying that the most exciting thing that he has in his life, better than sex, is being involved in a serious high-level investigation. Now, for me, if a person finds that so exciting, they probably ought to think about doing something else. Anything to add, Sam? Um, no, I just think, you know, you, you again, you have a responsibility for yourself in terms of looking after yourself. Um, I think I said it earlier as well. And um, also, you know, I, I have a, a team of people working with me now who, are, while they're not geographic profilers, they're working in really difficult areas, you know, online child sexual um, sexual abuse, for example, the indecent images, images of children. And I have a responsibility to their well-being is at the heart of, you know, my responsibility as their team um, leader. And um, so we have to, I have to make sure that um, there are things in place mm -hmm. to safeguard um, their mental mental health. As, um, as mentioned at the beginning, Crown Investigations TV show Making a Monster profiles some of the most notorious serial killers using insight from people like yourselves, forensic criminologists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, pathologists. Um, Sam, I mean, you mentioned there you've got a team underneath you who are not necessarily geographic profilers, but is there an, uh, another area of criminology that you find interesting that um, outside of your own that you have you know maybe considered taking a little bit more on, on on yourself or maybe it's a bit of a passing interest yeah well um there's very much so so i i probably spend 80 percent of my time um in the recent past and for the next probably couple of years um conducting research into online child sexual abuse as i just mentioned so there are between 550,000 and 850,000 individuals at this moment in the UK who are, pose a risk to children. So we're, it's in epidemic proportions. And there's a huge effort um, in law enforcement to try and tackle this, um, this problem. And of course, interestingly, if you think about it from a geographical perspective, the world, you know, on the dark web and the clear web, there's no physical geography. You know, I have to start thinking about geography in an entirely different um, way, but they're still environments, and and offenders operate within those environments. They still mm -hmm. make decisions about 
where to target and who to target. And so it's about taking these skills as a geographic profiler in the real world, if you like, into the virtual world. And it's a, it's a fascinating area. It's also terrifying, frankly. Um, sure. Yeah, really uh, terrifying. But it's such essential work. I mean, from, from my amateur perspective, obviously, when I think of geographic profiling, I'm obviously thinking of, you know, a map and grid coordinates and that kind of thing. But you're mentioning there about kind of obviously going into the, into the Internet and you can already you can imagine so many different other ways that geographic profiling obviously can be applied. Is, is, is there a new frontier of geographic profiling that you find yourself in and is it getting much more expansive yeah i think so i think we're on the cusp of you know we we it's very new um but this is where where we're we're heading really you know at the moment it's th it takes three clicks on the internet to access indeed you know child sexual abuse material mm -hmm. um so we have to think of the internet as as you know and and also there's no geographical boundaries you know sure. this is a global issue um and so we have to adapt our techniques uh, to in order to assist law enforcement to to help um you know track down these people and, and how about yourself paul is are there any other areas of of, of criminology that you've you've considered um, maybe as a passing interest I don't think one has passing interest in this. You either do it or you don't. And I think when, when Sam talks about, and you do, geographical, I think you're now talking about dimensional. It, it moves beyond those flat coordinates. For me, I think one of the important things that I would like to see happen is developing a library of the characteristics of the child sex abusers, of the serial killers, of all of these different things, but based upon real cases, so that when investigators are confronted with an issue, they have had the opportunity to see the offenders, to read the offenders, not in a textbook, not looking at uh, abstracted notions, but real cases. And these are then broken down by specialists into specific examples of the different abstract quantities, conditions that they're talking about. Now, we made a start with this some years ago, and it was very effective. Problem was, it became controversial. A lot of folks wanted to own it. A lot of other folks felt, we don't want to go there. This is, you're taking our bailiwick, and you can't do that. I think that the more investigators have those skills taken away from people like me and others so that they can do it themselves. Yes, they have other folks to come back to for checking, but basically they can move things forward in a way that leads to much, much more crime resolution before anyone like Sam or myself is at all needed. And um, obviously Making a Monster kind of features 10 incredibly disturbing cases. And are, are there any not just amongst those 10, but um, cases outside of those as well, that you keep coming back to that, you know, that pique your interest yourselves, that you kind of feel like you end up kind of reading about or perhaps listening to or watching TV series about in the same way that obviously a lot of the people here at this event perhaps have kind of similar interests in those, in those lines? Well, for me, it, it's not cases that have been done and that are dealt with and closed that I've worked on or haven't. There are still a handful of cases that I've worked on, fairly sure of the answers, but they remain unresolved. And from time to time, you can't help but go back to those and to ask the question, what more could we know that might move it forward? And there are a couple of cases like that. And we are having 
some success in finding that little bit more information that moves it forward. I don't really want to say any more about those cases in case somebody brings it to sure. fruition, but they're the ones that might bear more thought. Of course. Um, uh, yeah, there are a few. I mean, you know, I've, I've studied well, probably thousands of, um, you know, it's individual series of, of, of serial killers. It was my PhD topic, so um, I've... I've I've, I've immersed myself in this world. Um, there are a few that stick with you, though, and I think I agree with Paul, the ones that are unresolved, actually. Um, you know, uh, the case of Susie Lamplew springs to mind and the suspicion of, of John Cannon being responsible for that. I think you... Did you work on that case, Paul? No, you didn't. Um, I come back to that quite often. Um, yeah, and it's really, it's, it's that unresolved, though the ones that are unresolved are really mm. sort of stick with you, yeah. Uh, and if I'm in that, there are ones that are unresolved and yet you can point to areas that might give more information. And I'll think of a couple of cases where that's happened and folks have gone out then following those additional pieces of information. Someone unexpectedly as a consequence is identified but they, then they can't bring the final information together that would allow them to arrest and seriously interview. They remain. They remain for two reasons. One is it's not closed, but secondly, the perpetrator's still out there mm. and still active. Mm -hmm. And I guess does this bring us round full circle to that in the initial thing really about why true crime exists? I mean, obviously it kind of bisects ultimately why you guys do the profession that you do. It's ultimately to find the answer to this but the reason why you're interested in this is because you're wanting to find out the honest truth to some of these crimes it's yeah it's because someone asks us to mm -hmm. it's because an sio somewhere or a family member somewhere says this is stuck could you look could you help and it's so difficult even if you don't want anything more to do with anything like this when someone is there they've lost someone or something is unclear in this and they're saying can you how can you say no you can't really just say oh no you have to mm. and it's sorry it's bringing it you know it is bringing we do bring different perspectives as well you know to mm. uh, even with some um crimes that have been investigated for decades you know sometimes mm. you just a fresh pair of eyes with a from a different perspective looking at things from a different standpoint um can sometimes you mm. know, just be... Potentially with new needed. techniques, yeah, modern exactly. techniques. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Uh, mentioned there, 
um, obviously new media, true, true crime podcasts, alongside TV shows and books, I guess the kind of older age media, have become a mainstay in telling these kinds of stories. It's obviously such a, a, a prominent uh, media area in, at, this, uh, at this event. Has the true crime media landscape positively affected your line of work? And if so, how? So I'd go so, so, so far as to say that without it, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. Because, right. you know, well, I'm going to give away how old I am now. But um, back in my day, uh, I grew up on a, an appetite of... I got, used to go to the library and get some, these dusty FBI books off the shelf and had some strange looks from the librarian. And asked for Christmas, I used to get a monthly magazine and a free binder at the, min at the beginning and collect 12 months' worth of issues. And that was my introduction to this world. And it just so happened that what I did then was I... It wasn't quite enough, and I was actually interested in under no I never understood I never got the answers as to why and so I sought out um you know the academic field mm -hmm. and then yeah and then here I am yeah <laughs> yeah I don't really know the answer to it sure. um if I follow my own pathway it came out of my clinical world it came there was a patient uh, she had got herself into an awkward relationship with a policeman and uh, she ended up having to theoretically go to court. It seemed to me not to be the best thing to do. I spent some time talking with their divisional superintendent. During that, the question was, well, what is a psychologist? What do they do? Explained all of that. The lady didn't go to court, and I thought that was the end of it. A little while later, had a phone call from the head of CID at this particular place who said, you don't know me, but I've been having a chat with this other... If I show you a murder scene that we've been stuck with for two years or more. Do you think you can tell me anything about the offender? I said, I've no idea. Um, have a look. Come tomorrow. Please have a good breakfast before you come. Of course, then I had no idea what that meant. Now I know everything that that means. Mm. The short answer was we're able to look at it, and in two days, exactly as Sam has just said, a different way of looking at things, produce the psychological analysis, and the perpetrator was able to be arrested, I think, within five days of that, mm -hmm. after several years. So that's how I get in, and that's how the true crime value comes out of it to me. Sure. And so, I mean, that's quite two fairly different ways, entries into the field, I guess, from both, from both of you. Mm. And then thinking about from a modern perspective, obviously with the, new, with the landscape as it is now, and both of you obviously contributing to that landscape as well with the TV shows that you do and the interviews and the books that you write and everything else. How does that kind of keep feeding your professional work, um, does it feed your professional work? And, and if so, is there a positive element to it? Oh, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think they're quite separate for me, mm -hmm. actually, um, to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, I think true crime, the true crime genre is, is, a, is, a, is a, a really important one. And actually, I think it does it can actually help solve crimes and and hopefully ultimately prevent them as well and there's yep. some absolute cracking podcasts around that I do listen to you know um that you know with real investigative journalists you know really um hard hitting and have actually gone a long way to uncover evidence as Paul said at the beginning that sometimes investigations can't and actually they just run out of steam and just you know there's nowhere else for them to go and it just takes again it's a new set of eyes it's the general public's eyes right of course yeah um so there's a synergy there but i'm i'm not sure they f it necessarily feeds into my work sure mm. 
but I guess, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it must be a positive outlet, obviously, because of the number of eyes that it gets on it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it garners reach and awareness of some of these cases. I think part of the contribution that we bring is to try to make sure that two things don't happen. One is that we, in effect, prepare a how-to-get-away-with-it kit so that would-be offenders think, oh, yes, I need not to do that, I need to be aware of that. We work hard to make sure that doesn't happen. And the other thing is more difficult. It's that the offender does not get glamorised and lionised. Mm -hmm. In my casework, certainly been in a situation where offenders are delighted to be regarded as serial killers. Am I a serial killer yet? Mm -hmm. um, can I lay out this particular victim in a way that's so theatrical everyone will know it must be me we have to work hard not to glamorize them remember they are amongst the most banal of human beings mm -hmm. i i just makes me think i worked on a case in new zealand of a, um, a, a murder of a young woman who was out jogging in a local park and um on a saturday morning and um, she got attacked and um, dragged into some bushes and uh, and when I went to the, when I went to view the crime scene, the offender had posed her body. Um, she was partially closed, and um, it, and it looked absolutely like there had been, it was a sexually motivated offence. Um, and he'd covered her with leaves, and it, it was a very strange crime scene, one I've never seen before or since. But when we when he was finally arrested, not that long afterwards, he lived about three three hundred yards away from the crime scene. Um, and he was asked about the posing of the body. He said, I did that because I saw it in CSI and I did that to make mm -hmm. it look like a sexually motivated attack. Do you know, and that's where the blurs come sometimes with not true crime, but you know, the Absolutely, whole genre yeah. in terms of um, fictitious accounts and so on. And it, it yeah, and, and going back to this offenders wanting to so, you know, almost sensationalize it themselves in sure. a way. Two yeah. really important points there. Mm. We call it staging. Yeah. And one of the That's things right. that is important is to distinguish in a crime scene what's real to the crime scene and what's staged. Right. Because sometimes people look to stage things to misdirect investigators. Yeah. And this is where the forensic element becomes so important, understanding what a real crime scene such as this ought to look like. And that's part of what we do. And um, I think we have a little bit of time at the end now to field any questions from the audience. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Um, you mentioned earlier on about unresolved cases. Have you ever had an unresolved case that has gotten to you? And if so, how do you deal with that? Um, I've had a, yeah, there's been a couple I've been involved in. Um, uh, you know, I can't probably not give the details, but there's been a couple of, um, one in particular, a um, of awfully um, brutal murder of an elderly um, an elderly lady in um, in a, a remote town in in New Zealand um, which was we think it was a, a burglary that went wrong let's say it's I don't not really like that expression um, uh, but despite uh, you know all efforts including my own um, we yeah that's remains unresolved and that always leaves uh you know it, it it's difficult because obviously you're you know you want to try and help and give something to the family of these of, of the victim to you know give them some sort of and again i don't want to use the word closure because it never closes but at least 
maybe some comfort in seeing justice done? I think there are, there are two elements for me. One is, of course, it remains those unresolved cases. But in particular, it's the elements that one may have been involved with and advice given, questions asked, that could be answered, but don't seem to have been answered. So you, you can't help but feel, why didn't you go and get that? Why won't you get that? It would move it forward. Um, th that, that always rankles. And then the other, it's where... I can think of a case where a whole family was butchered, butchered in pretty dreadful ways. And the likely offenders were quickly taken away by supporters and put into a situation where they couldn't be interviewed. And that left the police investigators very frustrated. And to this day, it leaves me frustrated as well. There you are. Fantastic. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, we are out of time. But my thanks to uh, Professor Paul Britton and Professor Sam Lundrigan for joining us at CrimeCon today. For more podcasts and videos of the interviews and sessions from CrimeCon, search for and subscribe to Crime Investigation on YouTube. And if you haven't already, please do hunt down the Making a Monster TV series. You can stream it today on Crime Investigation Play, and have a listen to the podcast series of the same name for even more insight from Paul, Sam, and the other fantastic contributors featured. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.